you know, we had this flow yesterday of a few subjects we were discussing, you know, try and get power flowing. We said, you know, that you need power to be able to give, but you also need power to receive. In the evening, we've been working on the power to receive side. And uh, that is the spirit of understanding. So if you didn't get any other tape, you better get last night's one. And uh, yeah, we still call them a tape. Isn't that funny? You know, like <laughs> old habits. And um, I get it from Chuck. He was always talking about the tape, you know, <laughs> Chuck Clayton. Anyway, um, it, it's worth soaking that, kind, that word because I think more than anything, that particular word last night or the spirit of that work, word, you've, you've, you've got to get it into yourself as, as, a, as a primary focus. You walk, walk in the mind of the Lord. See things differently. Anyway, um, this morning we continue with our theme of uh, powerful things you can do. Believing that you have grace, you have anointing, and you can do something with it. Well, we better have a prayer, because we're going to need help with this. And Father, I thank you. We have the help of God. Your word says you're an ever-present help. And and it's not only in trouble, as the word says, an ever-present help. I thank you. We have the help of God right now. The Holy Spirit is our helper, the advocate of the Father. I thank you, Lord, for the counsel of the Lord. We have the mind of Christ. And so we we ask that the Holy Spirit would be the spirit of truth in the hearing of all today. And thank you for the spirit of understanding. And afresh this morning, we look to you for it and In the name of the Lord Jesus, I release it over this meeting and over the heart and mind of each one. Lord, I'm asking by the Holy Spirit right now, open every mind, open the minds to understand Scripture. Open the eyes of the heart to see. This is our prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Most summits we provide a bit of a variety program, you know, one or two other speakers and some few special features. This year you got nothing. No special features, no other speakers. You just got to put up with me. Uh, there were a few plans, you know, being developed, but it didn't work out. So you, you're stuck with me <laughs> for good or ill. And um, here we go. Now, we, the subjects yesterday we dealt with had to do with impartation, with uh, freeing, you know, family blessings, freeing people from childlessness, and age-related benefits. Okay. First up this morning, we're going to discuss authority. Then we're going to discuss miracles, and then sovereign conversions, and then some other kinds of conversions. And if there's time, I'll touch on the subject of spiritual covering. We might run out of time. However, on the question of authority. To me, this is so foundational that in prayer, just even in basic prayer, you are praying for prayers to be answered. You need to develop not only your faith, that is, your ability to believe God, but the sense that the authority of Christ is with you. You have his name. And for me, this is a great reality. The reality is that he has given me his name. That's an astounding thing when you think about it. There's a scripture. I remember one day the Lord so impressed upon me that I have access to the Father. Because when you go and look that phrase up in the Bible, it applies to you all. We, it says, um, by one spirit... We have access to the Father in, in his name. But for me, it became quite personal as if the Lord was just dealing with me, you know, as if he gave me something. You have access to the Father. 
But you've all got to have that sense. And uh, I remember one night, it was when we were in the other building up on Norman Road, and a really big building, and I wanted to go there one Saturday night and pray, and I determined I'm going to walk into that place and, and seek God, take a hold of God for the church. And I uh, came in the front door, it was all in darkness, you know, and I walked up that center aisle praying as I came. And the, the moment I hit the front here, all of a sudden, the sense of awe, that suddenly around me uh, wasn't so much the building, I was actually standing in some heavenly place, not physically, obviously, it, it was just what I was seeing in the spirit, I was standing before the very throne of Christ. And, and all of heaven was silent. Because all, uh, all of a sudden I'm aware, it wasn't just Christ, the 24 elders were all here. And then I'm suddenly aware thousands upon thousands of angels and all of heaven fell silent. The whole lot, they're all listening for this one prayer. And uh, I'm, so, I'm thinking to myself, I hope I don't say anything stupid. You've got, you got all of heaven listening. It was an awesome thing, you know, and I poured out my heart then for about 20 minutes in that, in that sense of that presence, poured out my heart for the church. But, you know, that's happened once in my lifetime. I mean, I've had all kinds of other things happen, but the, the point of it happening once is to show you something. It's to show you something that applies in principle to every single time we pray. Every time I pray, every time you pray, heaven hears. You actually stand in the heavenlies. In the book of Revelation, there's a text that says Christ was standing on Mount Zion. And, and my sense is when we pray, we stand there with him. And so you, you develop, uh, you know, this, this understanding and a, a conscious faith, a, you know, a knowledge of the Almighty. This is the you know, no wonder Paul said, pray for the spirit of revelation and wisdom in the, that you may know him better. See, that's, this is so foundational because if, if these things can be established in your walk, in your prayers, you know, how much, how much powerful is your outpouring of prayer? Because you need this for all the many, many days when you feel not a thing, see not a thing, and you're up against it and, it, and it feels like the heaven is brass and you're speaking to a wall. That's not what you're going to believe. You're going to know in your heart, I am heard in heaven. Keep praying into this thing, that wall's going to disappear. Keep praying into this thing, something's going to shift. You, that's what you must believe. So I, I have always felt that when praying, a, a sense of authority and an active faith go hand in hand. It's not just one. Not just, it's not just believing but this sense of authority. And that has stood me in very good stead. Now, of course, it helps that I've had experiences where the Lord has said these things to me and has made it very personal. But I often think the only reason for that is so that you can teach other people what it means. Because there's no reason that anybody, I mean, Jesus himself said, anyone who believes... So I wasn't long in the ministry. It was my first year, 1976, in Narrabri. I was kneeling at about 10 a.m. one morning in the spare bedroom where I used to go often enough to pray for a while. And I had visions. 
And, um, you know, uh, I might as well just tell you, I, uh, three quick glimpses in the spirit realm. And the first was of a, a serpent that crossed my path. The, the, the mental picture was back on the farm when I was a boy, you know, paths on the farm, you know, through the paddocks. Serpent. And then there's massive scorpion tail, like, you know, like a skyscraper standing over you. And then uh, third picture was this gigantic demonic figure standing there. And it was just flash, flash, flash. And then the Lord spoke and he said, he said, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy. And that's when he stopped talking. But when you look it up in the Bible, it continues and it says, and nothing will by any means harm you. But see, he, even though that for me, that became, per- well, see, this is all part of my early equipping and training to, to learn what this authority was all about. Back in the days, you didn't even know demons existed much. But, and, and I didn't, I never ever went looking for a fight. You know, you're too busy doing the things you happily do my problem was that they came to pick on me all the time. Uh, for some reason, I was not liked in, in, uh, you know, by demonic forces. And, but the Lord controls it because when the first ones that come to pick on you, they're a whole lot easier to knock off. And, and uh, then uh, you know, you, you'll have a bit of respite. And then there'll be a bigger battle until you end up with the big ones. But this was just a process of learning stuff. And... Um, but for me, this scripture is real. Behold, I give you authority. But what I'm trying to communicate here today is this is really something said in Holy Scripture to anybody who carries the Word of God. And if you're a believing Christian, if you're a confessing Christian, if you've got a testimony, if, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you pray intercessory prayers, if you have a burden for the city, your love of the pastor, you're praying for souls to be saved, this is you. In other words, you're a believer who's taken up some responsibility in the Word of God. Because when Jesus said this, it was to the 72, not the 12. Now, if he'd said this to his 12 apostles, there there might be people in the church who argue, oh no, it's an apostolic endowment. But he didn't say it to the 12 apostles, he said it to 72 other guys. He'd sent them out preaching. And uh, the, the record we have in Luke 10 is of their return. They came back to Jesus. It said they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And that's a truth. And the thing I pray, um, everywhere I go in the world, including everywhere in Australia, and including, I, and, I, and I simply make it a simple statement um, before the summit, for example, before some of these meetings. Uh, before every meeting, I will simply take authority over principalities and powers, command them to stand aside. I do that every meeting. And then when I do, I find it easy to preach. And when I don't, I find it hard to preach. It's as simple as that. And there have been numbers of occasions over the years I've forgotten to do it, and you're up trying to do a good job and not getting anywhere. And you go back to your hotel room and you suddenly think, ah, you know, I didn't bind the spirits. No, just resisting the meeting. So this is bread and butter. But on most of those occasions, especially when I'm traveling, I will simply say, I not only take authority over the principalities and powers and bind the spirit, just command them to stand aside. There's no fuss and bother. There's no pride and arrogance. I'm just speaking the truth. 
You know, I speak for Jesus, stand aside, you will not resist this meeting. And I sometimes say, you are subject to me in Jesus' name, stand aside. Now, if you say that with any kind of wrong heart attitude, with some kind of arrogance or pride or taking pleasure in it, you won't get far. It'll, it'll, it'll turn around and kick you. Because Jesus said here, don't take joy in that. Take joy in other things. In other words, treat this simply as matter of fact and move on. And, um, and see, that might sound um, uh, presumptuous to say, you are subject to me in Jesus' name. But for me, I, I'm just stating the truth. It's just the, it's just the simple truth. And you might say, well, it's only here in the words of the 72. No, Jesus confirmed it if you read the next couple of scriptures. Right? So we, we read them. He, he replied to this. He's, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He replied and said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, their ministry out there had, had brought devils down. And that's when he makes this statement, behold, I have given you. He'd already given it to them. He'd sent them out with it. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. So he, he repeats it. Rejoice, your names are in heaven. And the point I'm wanting to make is you, you all have a measure of authority. Not everyone has the same measure of authority. But if you are prayerful and you walk with the Lord, your authority will grow, but you all begin with a measure of authority. And the least believing Christian, the newest Christian, will have authority over basic demons. This is fundamental to Christianity. The higher level stuff you have to learn to deal with, and, and fools should not rush into things they don't understand. But you certainly do have authority over Basic stuff, spirits of infirmity causing sickness, oppression in the family, or you know, all the usual. Um, if you want an example of levels of authority, you've only got to go to what the Lord said to Moses. At the end of his life, Moses says to the Lord, Lord, you know, appoint a man, you know, to lead Israel in and out. And it was God who said to Moses, Lay your hands on Joshua and give him some of your authority. Well, what authority did Moses have? for example, that Joshua never ended up with. Well, one was to write laws and to write Holy Scripture. Now, Moses had stuff that nobody's had. Nobody's had that authority in, in all the earth except Jesus. Even Paul didn't have the authority to write new laws. No, he taught us the way of Christ. You think about that. Think about the, that high level of authority Moses carried. There's nobody like him in all of God's house, well, that, you know, that's high authority. Now, nobody might have that, but apostles sure do have authority because why? It's not because, you know, there's some kind of fancy pants and better than anybody else. No, it is because the church needs the blessing. The church needs people who can do something for you, can represent Christ, can open the way, can fight battles, can suffer sufferings that are needed to be suffered for the sake of the church. You know, there's two sides to all of that. And so this is why in Ephesians 4, it says when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men or to mankind, if you like, 
He gave gifts. What were the gifts he gave us? Well, he gave us some apostles. He gave us some prophets. He, so the gift, if, if he makes me an apostle, that's not a gift to me. That, that's a call to, you know, a life in which I, I have to serve other people. It's a gift to others. The church needs people like me and the church needs people like you and you are therefore given as a gift. The thing is, learn to understand that you do have the name of Jesus and when you speak that name, you have authority, you have power. Learn to use that in conjunction with believing God. So um, here's, I mean, there's some clear examples in the scriptures of believe the believer's authority. Here's Revelation 12, 11. Everybody knows this. And they have conquered him, the they, of course, is the saints of God, the believers, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. So it's we, it's the believers, it's the saints who conquer the great dragon by two, two things in combination. You know, the blood of the Lamb, a lot of authority and power comes from that and the word of their testimony, the confession of their faith. Put these two things together, authority and faith. Remember, the authority is not, isn't something uh, that comes from you. It, the authority is in Christ, but He is in you. He is upon you. This is actually what it means when you're supposed to, you know, we, we say you pray in the name of, the, of Jesus. Well, that's not, that's not like putting abracadabra on the end of your prayer. You know, you pray, 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 and at the end you say, in Jesus' name, amen, as if that's like the magic word. No, it actually has a meaning. And the meaning of praying in the name of Jesus is that when you pray, you are representing him. You are speaking on his behalf. Everything you're saying in crying out to the Father is being spoken on behalf of the Lord Jesus. So you are representing his name. And... Um, so you can build your understanding of that in all kinds of ways into your prayer. It was, it was Kenneth Hagin who pointed out in one of his books I read years ago, I think it was his little book called The Authority of the Believer, which I read in 1974. And the thing is, I, I had the kind of grace where I could read a concept once and just get it and, and never needed any more any instruction on it because I just... It was somehow, it became me by the Holy Spirit. And that was, an, that was that. From the time I read Kenneth Hagin's little tiny book on the authority of the believer, seven little chapters, I've had no trouble walking in the spirit of that ever since. And, 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 and neither should you. If you take the rudiments of what I'm touching on here today. But one of the things Kenneth Hagin pointed out was, not totally accurately, but close enough for the purpose. He said, there's nowhere in the New Testament that you were told to pray to God about the devil. Because the point he was making was with authority, the believer is meant to himself deal with the devil. And principally speaking, that's true. There is a bit of an exception if you look at the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus included, you know, deliver us from the evil one. You could say, well, there's a prayer. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. But um, it, the, as far as the teaching of the New Testament goes, now you get scriptures like James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In other words, there's a, the believer is meant to be active. Peter says the same thing. Resist him. Firm in your faith. But Peter adds, knowing, this is 1 Peter 5 and 9, we've got that, yeah. 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So Peter recognizes and, and doesn't leave it off the table here that this process of exercising authority and dealing with difficult things does involve effort. You know, there can be struggle, there can be privation, there can be periods of pain. You will get the victory, but you've got to be willing to fight the battle. And some things are easy. Some things, a single word, you just blow it away. Other things you've got to pray into until you get a handle on that thing and break it. Uh, I remember there was a, a senior pastor with a sizable church and some very significant ministries in another nation, these days being online, stuff going everywhere, I don't name names, don't name countries, don't say too much. Uh, there are too many issues there and too many countries that are sensitive about what you say about them and what you found in them. So I, I try not to go there, just give you the general picture. But this um, senior pastor approached me one day for a prayer because they had very deep trouble looming on the horizon in that someone who had worked for them in years past in one of their ministries, but had proven to be uh, a real Jezebel, a real troublemaker, they had appropriately, in all the correct ways, you know, brought their employment to an end and you know, bid them farewell with all the payouts and what. But the person went on to be a huge troublemaker, went to the highest levels of government in that land and several departments, including the legal departments, with all kinds of false accusations about what was supposedly going on inside those ministries, all the fraud, all the embezzlement of money, all the mistreatment of blah, 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 just lies. And had stirred up this hornet's nest of um, you know, serious investigations that were proposed. And he came to me and he said, uh, we, we need prayer. I said, uh, we can fix that right now. I said, we can all finish it right this minute. And so we prayed the appropriate prayer because I dealt with the spirit that was behind that woman. In other words, this was a taking of authority over uh, a spirit that was driving that woman to act the way she was acting. And so you dealt with that spirit, knocked it out of there, forbid it, absolutely refused permission for that spirit to to use this woman and um, you know, issue a whole bunch of commands, basically. And uh, they never heard another thing. It all went totally silent. It was, it was all over. Well, you know, there are some things like that, that you, you just know, we, we can finish this right now. Other things, you take time to pray into it and um, the biblical example that comes to mind, and I was going to actually use it on the next subject, but I may as well bring it up right now. When the Apostle Peter got called to Joppa because Lydia had died, also known as Dorcas, he was called there because, you know, she was such a valuable person in that Christian community, had served and obviously taken in the, the middle of life, obviously wasn't elderly, and the local church had run out of answers. Now, let's face it, the church is only going to send to this town where they've heard Peter is there because they have exhausted themselves already in praying and believing. You know, in other words, they've prayed and prayed and nothing's happened. So get the apostle. 
and he came, but notice his approach. And lots of other occasions, you know, a command and it's all over, but not now. Peter puts them all out. And I know what that's like sometimes. Jesus did this too. There were times when Jesus put everybody out except his, his three. And um, the parents, you know, of the girl, in that case, the girl had died. He put everybody out, including three quarters of his disciples. Because <laughs> you've, you've got to get stray thought out of the room. You've got to get unbelief out of the room. You've got to get out of the room. Somebody's standing there thinking, oh, you know, wonder if this is going to, you know, whatever they think, you know. You've, you've got to get some, some silence. You've, you've basically got to get some stillness in the airwaves instead of all this interference. Well, Peter put everybody out and knelt down to pray. Doesn't tell us how long he was praying, but I know what was going on. He's, he's not paying any attention to the problem over here on the other side of the room. He is seeking the face of God because he's seeking to obtain grace. He's seeking to get into that place where he... He senses the authority to do what he's being asked to do. In other words, he didn't just walk casually in the door already carrying it. He had to, he had to find grace with God. But, the moment, but once he's prayed it through, and maybe this took 20 minutes, you know, he simply stands and says, you know, Lydia, arise, you know, gets her by the head, up she gets. So some things you do, you've got to find quietness, pray it through, find find your place. But too many people are, um, you, you feel a bit hopeless, you feel a bit despairing, you feel tired, you, you tend to pray little mini, you pray mini prayers and go to bed, you know, and every day another mini prayer and nothing ever happens. No, there are, there are times when you just have to do business with God. Now look, we made the point that the, the whole tenor of the tone of the New Testament is that it is the believer or the believers that have to do something about the devil, you know, about bondage. And this, of course, is where Ephesians 6 brings us. You're all familiar with it. We don't need to labor it. But, but Paul writes, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers. What he's talking, what he's describing here is the church as a whole dealing with the high level stuff. I've heard foolish people, you probably all have, and these are big name public preachers sometimes who write books, who take the position that the church is not meant to fight principalities and powers. We're meant to just deal with the low level stuff, you know, demons, that cause, um, you know, alcoholism or drug addiction or sickness, you know, street level stuff. And, and, and you're not meant to take on this high level stuff. But I think, I think that position is nonsense. Because you, the, the one of the New Testament passages that everybody knows about, even if they don't understand it, is what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 about putting on the whole armor of God. This, this whole passage here about the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and all the other stuff is specifically the way the church is meant to be dressed as a whole. It's the church that has on it the breastplate of righteousness. It's the church that has the shield of faith. And we together have the sword of the Spirit, specifically, Paul says, to take up the battle against principalities and powers. 
that's the highest level stuff there is. So here you have a clear description, but it goes on to say, having done all in the evil day stand, the, the assumption is victory comes, even though there may be an awkward process. And I, I often think of uh, Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes where he said, there is a proper time and procedure for every matter even though a man's misery weighs heavily upon him. I've, I've had periods that it has been miserable in some battle, but I know fine well, you know, if I persevere, keep praying into this thing, you come out the other side and you come out the other side rich. You come out the other side having learned stuff. This happened so often that I got to the stage where when, when trouble would come and, and you're thinking, oh no, you know, I was able to say, well, you, you beauty, I'm about to learn something wonderful. <laughs> you, know, you know, you better take the bright side, you know, like, like that song, you know, always look on the bright side. <laughs> you may as well, because the other point of view isn't, isn't going to do you much good. And <laughs> so, um, look, I started off here thinking I'd bring you a wonderful message on how to exercise authority, and I really haven't done any of that. <laughs> Just talked around it. Uh, come back another day, I'll try again, you know. <laughs> but um, at least we make the point, you have authority and you've got to learn to use it. Generally speaking, you will not be sent battles your way by the Lord that aren't at your level, not the level of things you can already do, but sometimes the level of something you've got to learn something about and grow in faith and grace and inner strength and resolute, uh, resolution and all the rest. So you need not be frightened of the battle if you are in fellowship with the believers, if you are in submission to leadership, if you have spiritual covering in place, if you love the brethren, and if you are prayerful, um, in, in this way you get less wounds. You, you don't get all the bite marks from the roaring lion that you might have otherwise got, right? You, it might feel like you've got a few, but th this is how you position yourself. You must be well positioned. A lot of it, look, a lot of the protection that is meant to be yours and a lot of the blessing that is meant to come your way will be related directly to how you are positioned in the body, in the body of Christ. You, you must be well jointed and that is well jointed with other believers and with leadership. There must be a heart of submission to authority because that's your source of the cover, that is the covering of Christ. Therefore, love of the brethren. You know, walking in the base, these basic commands of loving one another deeply from the heart, honoring one another above yourselves, accepting one another as Christ has accepted you, forgiving each other, no matter what wrong other believers do, forgive them. These things are huge when it comes to the exercise of both faith and authority. On the, on the faith side of things, I, when I'm praying about anything, I set my heart to believe God, but maybe we'll talk more about that. It's already 10.10, so I don't have many minutes left, and I want to have something to say about miracles before we finish this session. I, 
I've written a chapter on miracles. It's the ninth chapter, I think, of the book. If you haven't, um, if you haven't been receiving emails giving you these chapters, you can put yourself on the list, see Cherie or see somebody, or, or me. Uh, you can pick up copies of the first nine chapters over there on the book table in that far corner. This is the one on power, miracles, and authority. And admittedly, it's a test for apostles, but it has some interesting things to say. I, at the beginning of COVID, so over three years ago now, I had a word from the Lord on how to protect the region you lived in from COVID. And that word to, turned out to be very, a very powerful word and the whole of central Queensland, we, we had a, a quite an amazing ongoing miracle, which was tested a couple of times and the tests themselves became miracles. Without going into all of that, uh, I did a video once I had that word on what that word was and advising you know, anybody who cared to look how to pray so as to get that outcome. And then I thought, oh, they might not fully understand that. So I put out a second one and then a third, end up doing six. And it kind of got me started. So I thought I need to do a series on miracles. So I then went and did 31 more. They're all on YouTube. These miracle ones, they're all just like 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, each one describing a miracle and what the lessons were that came from that miracle, how, how the miracle was obtained or what the principles were in the Lord giving that particular miracle. And uh, you can all go to YouTube and find that miracle series. And if you can't find it, well, ask for a link. But uh, once I had done a few of those, it occurred to me that in fact there are different kinds of miracles and I, I named four different kinds but when I got around to writing the chapter I broke that down into five different kinds of miracles because some of them overlap and um, so here are the five kinds of miracles and I, and I see all of these kinds and I see all kinds regularly. So there are miracles to do with nature and weather phenomena, whether dealing with floods or cyclones or rain or other natural things, um, you know, dealing with trees, anything. And I've got examples in those videos. Second category is anything to do with the body, really healings. So sicknesses, diseases, infirmity, but even oppression and curses and other genera generational matters. Uh, now, there'll be spirits involved in that, but that's at this kind of ground level stuff. The third area is circumstances. I've already talked about the circumstances of that pastor with all that trouble raised, and we could kill it off, you know. So, circumstances involving enemies, uh, judgments that have been against people in the spirit realm, uh, you know, demonic assignments, spirits of death, getting rid of all of that, but sometimes placing judgment. Sometimes you you have to do what Paul says, you know, um, in 1 Corinthians 5. And we've seen out and out miracles with that, where you place someone under, under judgment, but this is not something for everybody to, it's not, don't go there. You've, um, pretty wise leadership has got to understand that. But still, we've seen miracles. The fourth area has to do with providence. In other words, uh, finance miracles, property miracles, um, We've seen, well, I see finance miracles all the time and have been doing so for, you know, decades. Um, 
you know, every week, really, every other week. And um, I won't go into the stories just yet. Uh, the fifth area for me of miracles has to do with authority over the high level stuff, powers, authorities, gates of Hades, removing curses off lands, off churches, off regions, or, uh, institutional issues. These are, you know, bigger matters and very often require apostolic authority. But we, um, you know, there, there was a pastor here who uh, rang me up one day and he'd been in his church a few years but realised that not only his church but 60 other churches in his immediate area, none of them had young people, none of them had young leaders, young couples, young adults, older teenagers. 60 pastors that didn't have one single young person in the church to stand with the pastor. Isn't that astounding? And you immediately say, hang on, there's a reason. There's got to be a reason. So I flew down and I was assuming, you know, that hang on, there's, there's a curse. We've got to, got to deal with a curse over this region. I got there and got with his dear brother and we went out on site, you know, at a, a handy spot kind of overlooking the area. Uh, starting off, you know, just assuming what we'd have to be praying into. But I no sooner started praying, I probably wasn't 30 seconds into the prayer, when I got the word of the Lord as to what it was. And it was actually a covenant that had been placed over that land. And I'm not going to go into the detail, but all this stuff comes from when churches are out of order. And it didn't take a minute to remove that covenant and within three months, he had 15 young people. And um, these are the things. I, I came across something very similar in uh, one of the states in the US. pastor over there rang me up and said he, he had this little church and just couldn't grow, wouldn't grow. And you just have a hunch. You think, hang on, there's something in legislation. There's something to do with the state you're in. And sure enough, Way back in the origins of that U.S. state, there was a covenant. I said, I said to me, something like a covenant. Now, it might have been called a covenant, but there was some law that had been passed in the founding of that state that there was one particular denomination that was the official church, the church, the only church allowed in that state. So you could deal with that in the spirit realm. Well, this takes understanding, but also takes authority. You just clean it out. And you can set... set. Now, sometimes these things take... There's processes to go through, but sometimes just it's the work of a moment. You call it for what it is and kill it off. So these are the, you know, there's all kinds of miracles available. Now, look, some of that stuff isn't the concern of everybody, but, but here's the good news. Every Christian and every Christian family and every church can have miracles and have them regularly. Healing miracles, deliverance miracles, financial miracles, property miracles, relationship miracles, all kinds of them, the idea really is to put your faith in God. It's, I mean, this is what Jesus said when the disciples, you know, he, he cursed the fig tree and it withered and they said, Lord, you know, the fig tree. He said, have faith in God. In other words, he was operating out of a constant principle in his heart. In other words, it was a constant moment-by-moment moment position of Christ, the awareness of the Lord in just the way he thought, the way he lived. God was with him. The power was ever-present. 
and at his word, that power would flow. And the truth is, if you will have this consciousness, then at the word you speak in his name, power will flow. And it makes not a whit of difference whether you feel it or not. It's not a case of feelings. Because I will see a lot of answers to prayer and a lot of healings and miracles and things and not feel a thing. You, can, you start praying, you're feeling hopeless and you haven't got anything, but you start praying and lo and behold. See, there's got to be some kind of holy boldness, some kind of willingness. Uh, you, you've got to be resolute about it. Uh, there's a couple of minutes, so I'm just going to en- enlarge on this a bit. Um, just give an example, because I want to, want to kind of set an example for you know, resolution or, if you like, determination. And uh, I mean, the way I deal with fog is an example of this. And it's not like I dealt with fog once and and you use it for the rest of your life. No, no, we've dealt with it many times. In fact, uh, any given winter's morning here that fog is forecast and I know I've got to get on an early plane, I deal with it the day before and the fog's never there. And... um, But, you know, one of the earliest examples was I had... uh, landed the plane in Narrabri where the Bates has come from and others who are here. It was years back now. I'd been flying, Max was with me, he was sitting here. We were flying uh, the, our 182 down to Tamworth to leave it there and fly the Bonanza back. That was the plan. I think we got the planes the right way around. And um, as we got closer to our destination, the weather, the weather got lousy. It was fairly cloudy by the time we'd got to Moree. We passed over Moree and now we're tracking for Tamworth. And uh, the buildup was incredible. And right now in our path was this huge storm. I mean, just black all the way, you know, from the ground to eternity. <laughs> and then it was all down both sides and we're occupying the little bits of air that were vis- visual between the clouds and just getting real bad, you know. And then not only that, in the headset, you can hear all the lightning crackling. But the last place you want to go is into a storm. We're not going into that storm. You've got to do something. Anyway, so we get the Temple Tower on the radio and tell them um, I'm not coming in, that um, they asked me what I was going to do. And I said, oh, I don't know yet. I'm just going to think about it for a minute. <laughs> so, and... Uh, this is the calm you expect from pilots, right? <laughs> Particularly if you're on the plane. So, uh, no, but we turned around, and I knew that on the other side of these mountains here was Narrabri. All we had to do was backtrack a little bit, you know, and get around, and because I, I knew further west there'd be clear air, and sure enough, we got out there and descended and come down. We had to come all the way down to 800 feet, and lo and behold, oh, there's Narrabri, right there, you know? Flew under the cloud and landed in Narrabri. And received the wonderful hospitality of the Bateses. And the plan was next morning to fly to Tamworth. But the next morning we were fogged in something chronic. Uh, it was a very cold night, I remember. Mm. Don't go to Narrabri unless you've got your, your winter woolies. Uh, so we're fogged in. We think, oh no, it's just fog and lift in an hour or two. You know, we, we had plenty of time, we had all day. It didn't lift. 10 o'clock comes, 11 o'clock comes, 12 o'clock, fog still, dense as could be. We go out the airport, fog's so low, you hear Qantas planes come in, they come down to the minima and go roaring through. You can't see them, but you go roaring overhead and then they buzz off and go somewhere else. They can't land either. And here we are stuck on the ground. <laughs> now the day's getting away. And, and it was about, uh, 
2 in the afternoon, I guess, 1.32, that I'm saying to myself, this is a demonic fog. <laughs> Finally woke up, you know, give it a rebuke. 15 minutes, all cleared, jump in the plane, fly to Timworth. <laughs> and then we're stuck there for the night because not enough time to fly home. We had to go out and buy pyjamas or something, something warm. Max and I, we had an adventure, Max, you know. Anyway, look, simple authority over things and you get miracles. But then, uh, I was flying back from Jakarta one night to land in Sydney, change planes, fly to Brisbane, change planes, fly to Rocky, you'd be home for lunch. Land at six-ish, home for lunch. I was looking forward to getting home. The pilot comes on the air and he says, oh, he said, ladies and gentlemen, so terribly, we're an hour out, right? Terribly sorry, but Sydney all fogged in and all the planes are being diverted to Melbourne or to Brisbane. And he said, and we're going to divert to Brisbane and when the fog clears, you know, we'll fuel up and get back to Sydney. And I thought, ah, you know, you, you, you get home 8 p.m. in the evening. I thought, oh, I don't want this. So I started praying and sitting there, but you make declarations, you know, this plane will land. I thank you, Lord. And um, I don't remember all the things, but the point was take a position, ask the Lord, clear the fog, then give the fog a few commands, and then get into faith and say, thank you, Lord, this plane will land. This plane will land in Sydney. And uh, Pilate says, uh, I've got a bit of extra fuel, and so I'm just going to, you know, f- go to Sydney first of all and take a look, and then we'll fly to Brisbane. So I'm, I'm still th- there thinking to say, Lord, thank you, this plane will land. And, and I, this plane starts to make the turns in the skies, because what he'll do is he'll come down and he'll come down to the minima, which in Sydney is fairly low, and they take a look. And if they get visual, they can land. But, and uh, if they don't, well, they've got to buzz off. Um, and I'm looking out the window and you can see the wings of the plane and nothing else. This fog's pretty dense. And I'm just assuming we're still at 2,000 feet, but next minute, rumble, 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 the wheels are on the ground. And I'm looking out at a fog so dense. And I'm thinking, he's busted the minimas. <laughs> you know, we're on the ground either way. I don't know whether he could see ahead or not, but he landed, legally or not. And taxi in and you get out and there's nobody, no other planes in pick up the bag over to the domestic and buying the coffee. Oh, good coffee. And then I realized I've got a problem. There's, there's an empty plane sitting here and, and there's no crew and there's a fog out there. So I had to do it all over again. <laughs> had to believe for a crew. That only took 10 minutes. In they come, dragging their little bags, you know, hostesses on. We loaded us up and we were the only plane that came in and we we're the first one out. And, <laughs> and I was home for lunch. <laughs> well, now you think, you know, with experience, yes, you could do that. But we had a summit here a year or two later, and Godfrey came from, as a pastor, came from Nairobi, David Jamar's older brother, and he was flying in from Dubai to land in Sydney, and it's fogged in, but on the flight in, he'd been listening to the tape in which I told that story at, on a previous Sunday morning. And so he thought, oh, I'll give this a go. <laughs> so he prayed the prayer I prayed, and his was the only plane that landed in Sydney. Uh, so there you go. Look, what's that saying? Anybody can do it, right? Uh, all, all I'm really trying to do is say, lift, lift your game for miracles. You know, lift. Look, look, it was Paul who wrote to the Galatians and said, because he was castigating them for having gone back under the law. He said, look. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law or because you believe? Because he was, you know, he was going crook on them. But 
you, you get these throwaway lines, they're not exactly throwaway lines, but you, you see it right there, that to, to receive miracles was as normal as being given the Holy Spirit in normal church life. So faith up. And um, so I just close with this point. A lot of it has to do with determination to walk with God in the matter of praying and believing. You take a stand, you take a position, you be single-minded about it, and you're approaching something that's a real need, your attitude is, is, you know, this must be. You know, we must obtain heaven's answer. And, and, and having prayed it through, the position I always take then is just get into thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, you've heard the prayer. Thank you, Lord, this is what you're doing. I thank you, Lord, we're going to obtain miracles. And it's, it's still all of grace. You can't, look, it's not force. It's not, it's not just, the, you know, the, it's not the flesh of man. Somehow you find a flow of grace in which you believe God. And, and you will find, what you'll find is that God is pleased to give miracles. He's pleased to give answers to prayer. Jesus said it didn't take much faith. Faith as small as a grain of mustard seed. Well, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord if he would um, grant every one of you. The, the starting point for me in um, maybe it was March of 1974 was this one little verse that said, when you pray, believe that you have received it and it will be granted to you. And I began for the first time, even though I'd been a Christian six or seven years already, for the first time I began to add that element to my prayers. And for a while, all my prayers were answered in 24 hours because the Lord was showing me the principle so that later on when I had to pray into something for months or years, I still got the answers. And... Um, so I want to encourage you anyway, just remember that Mark eleven twenty four. when you pray, believe that you have received it. Remember I said that 90% of all the providence that comes to you and all the blessings and also the protection comes from when you are rightly positioned in the body. And that verse has um, a little word added to it by Jesus that demonstrates what I said. Because he said, when you pray... Believe that you have received it and it will be granted to you and, see he adds this little bit, and forgive if you have anything against anybody. That is as much a condition for answered prayer as the other. In other words, relationships, heart attitude, you know, how you see other people. The, the attitude you choose to take to other people even if you struggle with your feelings for a while. Very important, your positioning in the body. And believe me, uh, you will get answers to prayer. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord if he would grant, uh, especially for pastors, the, the freedom. Um, I, I think... Freedom in the exercise of authority, but the freedom comes from a, a release in the heart, having a, having a sense of your freedom, a sense of the authority you exercise. 
Believe with me now as we, we pray over this. Father, I thank you that these things are given to us by a holy God. I thank you it's not, not a case of getting blood out of a stone. I think we don't need a crowbar to prize these outcomes out of promises. I thank you that you're a giving God and you love to give and the grace is, is a grace upon grace. And I thank you, Lord, that for every believer here today, you intend for them to walk in the way of answered prayers and, and of finding faith. I thank you, Lord, every person here today qualifies because of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. They qualify to receive answers to their prayers, miracles in response to the cry of the heart. We thank you, you're a sovereign God who does things for us even when we don't ask. And I, I thank you, Lord, there is an anointing, there is a power present. Thank you that you have given me liberty with so many things and I pray that liberty for these believers and for every pastor, for every spiritual leader here today, I pray that for that liberty. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I take of this freedom I have in the heart and in the mind to believe God and I place it upon each of you. I give it to you, the gift of God. I release it to you in Jesus' name Upon every pastor I place authority for miracles, authority in the word of God. In Jesus' name, I release to you the favor of God. Lord, your mercy, I pray, rest upon these believers because some of them will have difficult problems being faced and I ask that right now hope would be in every heart and that they, they would clearly see the way that you provide for them. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in giving us miracles, answers to prayer, healings, providence, and authority over all the power of the enemy. We give praise to God. In Jesus' name, amen.